everybody, and welcome to the podcast that celebrates all things nerdy, nostalgic, and most importantly, my favorite medium, video games. This week we got Chris Jones in studio to talk Final Fantasy X. Chris, how are you? Really good, man. Been looking forward to this for a long time. Final Fantasy has was a big part of life as a kid and uh, re-emerged into my life for lockdown, so yeah, buzzing to talk about it, man. Yeah, I'm happy because we'd had this one in the chamber for months. But with some games, I'm like, I could talk about that tomorrow. Like when I did the Smash Bros. episode, it was just, I can talk about that anytime. But with this one, I really wanted to play it through again, you know, get like a feel for it, know the story, and talk about it, do it justice, you know? Yeah, same. So I was saying uh, beforehand that I've just got a PS5, and literally the only thing I've played on it is FF10 and FF7, like old, old PlayStation games <laughs> on this like brand new, super sought after piece of kit. Are you doing the original FF7 or the remake? So I've I played remake on PS4 when it came out. Mm. I, I've for some reason went back to original on my PS5 because right. I don't know why. <laughs> and I've got the FF10 and 10.2 HD remaster PS4 version on PS5. Right. Okay. So you you haven't played a PS5 game yet then? No. And honestly, I've got no intention of playing a PS5 game until <laughs> remake part two comes out probably. Yeah. Or Elder's. What is it? Eden's. Elden Rings? Elden Ring, that yeah. intrigues me a bit, yeah. Yeah, it looks fucking incredible. Uh, so you're a big gamer then, hey? I, I'm, I'm like a weird contrast, so like my interests are narrow but deep, so like mm. I could probably name less than 10 games, but I've fucking played the shit out of all those games. Yeah, I feel the same way, like I obviously love gaming, but I have these huge blind spots, like, like I've never played a Metal Gear Solid or like shit like that. Yeah. So I, I I'm like I'm I'm so not down with the kids on games. Like I've never played Call of Duty or like all this stuff that people go wild about mm-hmm. now. I've I've not played any of them. But like I've played all the Final Fantasies multiple times. Half of the music on my phone is Final Fantasy soundtracks. <laughs> I've got like Xanarkand Ruins photo prints up on the wall. I'm like proper, proper into Final Fantasy. Hardcore, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so one of the reasons I like Final Fantasy, and particularly FF10, is it felt like playing a movie. Mm-hmm. Like for the, I, I played when I was a kid. I played Mario Brothers and like all these games. They, they're not that, but Final Fantasy definitely is that. And that's when I was like, oh, hang on a minute, this is this is cool as fuck, man. Yeah, man. So what? Why, when did you start playing games? Do you remember? Yeah, I got um. So I had like a group of friends at school. I had a SNES. One guy had a Mega Drive, mm. and uh, the third guy had an N sixty four. So like, we were like I don't know seven or eight, and we'd all go around each other's houses. Wow, um, was the N sixty four kid the rich one of the group, or he was the rich one? And like there was a hint <laughs> of like this guy was only in the group by virtue of the N sixty four. I'm not entirely sure he'd have been in the group if he didn't have Goldeneye and Mario Kart to play. Dude, that friend, that person in the group is so funny. <laughs> Like oh, yeah. The first one with the car. It's like you're in for life. Yeah, right. I feel like I, I, I was the first one with the car. So, like, I, I relate to this guy. Like, I definitely got some popularity points purely off passing my driving test at 17. Yeah, I've talked about that before where I've just kept friendships going because they have the new system. And I'm like, <laughs> the whole friendship is hinged on the new game coming out or whatever. Yeah, so that, that was the that was the entry. I played I played like yeah, Sonic and Super Mario, mm. Legend of Zelda, all these things. Um Got a PlayStation 1, like, 96 or whenever that came out. Yeah. And so I kind of, I played, like, I played the FIFA games because I liked football and football manager, but nothing else. And then one day my dad brought home Final Fantasy VII and that kind of, that got me into the JRPGs and, like, gaming more widely. Well, it's funny because I talked about that on the Final Fantasy VII episode. For some reason that was, like, everyone's entry point, it seemed. Or I I feel like I missed the boat because I was, Chrono Trigger got me in. 
before anything. Alright, I think that's like that's like a gateway drug to Final Fantasy, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, you definitely see a lot of people who are mega fans of both, and like one led them into the other sort of thing. Yeah, I used to be snobby about it. Like, I'd be like, Final Fantasy VII ain't shit or whatever, and now I'm like, oh, they're both just great games. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm a bit like that with Final Fantasy IX. If someone declares that as their favourite Final Fantasy, I'm like, mate, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> but like, on balance, it's also still a really good game. It's just in my opinion, not to the level of 7, 8, and 10. Yeah, I agree. Or oh, 8 you put up there. So, 10 and 7 are like joint top in my ranking of everything ever. 8 is a solid second place below them. Mm-hmm. And then I think there's kind of daylight and then 9 comes in. Right. I think, I don't know this will be controversial to you, but 6 is my personal favourite on, on the SNES. Never played six. A lot of people, like I think Famitsu, the Japanese magazine, did a poll and that came out on top of the Final Fantasies. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised you like six and not nine because from what I've read, they they're like thematically similar. They are thematically similar. Nine is missing something to me. I don't know. I'm currently playing through it now and I can't really put my finger on it. Um, whereas six, six just feels like perfect. I don't know. It's something, mm. and, I, and I didn't even play it in the golden age. Like I don't have those rose-colored glasses with it. I I heard like the same polls you did and played it like on an emulator in like 2014 and i was fucking blown away by it like, yeah i'd like to i'd like to have a go if they do like a, a remaster or something of six i might pick it up yeah the thing you, you said that nine's missing something uh, me too i felt that too and like so when i played that i was 12 or 13 like a moody teenager anyway and i think it pissed me off that the main character's got a tail and i was like this is childish shit i'm not into this i'm like a, a big 13 year old i fucking want interest and stuff so that that kind of i've always held that against it oh that's hilarious uh, but yeah you've, you've been traveling recently too eh? sorry to just jump topics but i meant yeah. to ask you about it earlier i went to estonia so uh it, it's august 2021 now I, I went back at the end of may Mm. When that was one of only two countries in Europe, I think, that would like, allow a UK citizen. And yeah. Did you just have to get out, or what was the thinking? Yeah, I just had a really fucking miserable year, pretty much. <laughs> I, I, like, I'd done very little, been nowhere, seen no one, and mm. I just really wanted a change of scenery. So, I, Estonia ticked the boxes of, would let me in, wasn't too restrictive, didn't have any quarantine at the start, mm. quite a cheap place to go. And like kind of weird and interesting as well. Did you do a gig there at all? No, I. So I, I was asking around about this. There's like one gig that runs in Tallinn, the capital city, mm-hmm. monthly, but it, it wasn't. I couldn't find it at that time or something like that. So um, unfortunately not. Yeah, uh, man. I've heard of the scenes actually pretty decent there. Um, for I mean, I don't know what language they even speak, but I assume it's the, everyone. It's like one of these. Typical social democratic European paradise. They all speak English. Right, everyone knows a bit of English. Aye. What I'd be most worried about, I guess, is going to a different country is just getting COVID there and then having to fucking, like, you know, pay extra and your holidays fucked. Like, yeah. Uh, did you have that thought? or you Yeah, got- that was a risk. So I, I'd had... The, uh, I'd been vaccinated before I went, mm. so I, I was like, the chances are pretty low that I'm going to get, like, serious COVID. But it's like mm-hmm. a... As a that is a risk. That's a consideration. The other thing is, if like the if if the country you're in has a big spike and ends up in the UK's red list, then you're you're paying two grand to stay in a hotel at the end, and you've got no choice when you come back. So, like you you take that risk. That didn't happen to me. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Could have. Thank Christ! You just came back with a new head of hair. Yeah, I, I know. I, I look uh, I look extremely wild. To yeah, everyone see. Dude, it's funny. I just got a haircut and you grew it out, and I feel like we've switched spots in a way. But 
People, people like that. People like me like this. People smile at me in the street and stuff. It's so weird, man. I don't know if like when I'm get shot there, I look scary and nasty. They probably just think you're homeless, but don't want to give you money, so they they hit you with a smile. Okay, like please don't speak to me, mate. Please just keep walking. It, it is wild. I know it's dumb to talk about your your hair on a fucking audio podcast, but I you came into the open mic for the first time a week ago, and you must have been st- standing there for like a half hour, forty minutes, and like we're pretty good friends, like. But I just fully ignored you because I didn't know who you were. <laughs> yeah, that, that has happened. So also, I went up to Glasgow to visit home for the first time in a while mm. recently, and I saw a lot of people for the first time since lockdown, and they, like they were like, "Mate, what has happened to you? That, <laughs> like, that, this is so so not you." I'm always like short hair, like no beard or stubble. Um, it's it's mad. No, it's sick, man. Got to change it up sometimes. And it's a nice trick. You gotta let let it get like unkempt for a while and keep it fucked up looking. And then when you get rid of it all one day, you sort of jump up in people's minds. <laughs> like, yeah, you, you know? look amazing, man. You've really, really done something with yourself. I, I did that after a breakup once. And, like, the day I got dumped, <laughs> I did that. And everyone was like, whoa, look at this guy. He's fresh. I'm like, my stock raised. <laughs> all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take note of that. I'm going to become a bit less kempt. And then yeah. uh, get a nice shave and stuff like that. Yeah, really let it go to shit. Just opening a beer here. This podcast sponsored by Cobra and whatever you're drinking. Estrella Dam. Estrella Dam. Nothing wrong with that. Um, yeah, it's nice. So I don't usually record in the evening, so nice excuse to have a few beers on a Friday, you know? Absolutely. Hope uh, I don't forget my Aeon names after getting pissed. <laughs> yeah, I always worry about that, too. I'm like, it's like comedy, you know? You can't be too drunk, but it loosens you up a bit. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to... I don't want to claim to be able to reel off like the soundtrack and the order that you find it and then fail miserably because I've had like two and a half beers, so let's see. <laughs> Have you ever done a set really drunk? I, I did literally once and it was lesson learned. I, I, I told the same joke twice, ten minutes apart. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Which, like, right, that's, you can't really fuck up any worse than that. And it was like a, it was one of my best jokes at the time, so second time I was like, why is this bit bombing? This is a fucking great bit. Uh... And then like it hit me near the end. Like what I'd done, I was like, ah, I'm I'm gonna get out of here. This is an absolute disaster. Yeah, because no one tells you. Like it's it's almost like you would want a heckler to be like, hey, you've done this. <laughs> yeah, I I've done that before. Yeah, I think they were like, I think they were expecting like a different punchline or a different take <laughs> on it. And then I got to the end, and they're like, really, mate? You, yeah. you, you see this? <laughs> Dude, that is sick. I would love that if a drunk guy just tried to see how many times he could do the same joke. <laughs> yeah, that. So literally after that, I was like, right. Like, never doing a gig hammered again. Right. Unless it's like a super low stakes, like open mic with your mates and stuff mm-hmm. that you can afford, that you can just do anything. But I've I've never had more than probably like two beers before a gig since then. Dude, imagine you just crushed that night. You'd be a totally different kind of comic now. That that's the other thing. I'm like, see if the, I the drinking comic. Yeah, see if I smash it. If I smash the shit out of a gig while I'm hammered, <laughs> then I'm gonna have to do it every night. It's yeah. like so I'm yet to do a gig with my big wild hair and beard, mm. and I'm like. What if this makes me like extra funny? Yeah. I'm gonna have to look like this for twenty years or something like that. Oh, I worried about that. My first really good joke that worked was about having uh, long hair and a long beard, and so I was like in my head, I'm like, I can't ever get a haircut. I'm gonna burn this sick joke. Yeah, <laughs> like, right. It's it's like it's so hair and beard. That's one thing, but imagine you. I don't know. When you had like a scar on your face or something, and that was your thing, or some like <laughs> huge, like horrible feature that you had to just focus on forever. Fuck I've that. seen people get married to shit like that, like a prop. Like one guy, I forget why he would always come on stage with an apple, 
but he would never like address it and it just became his thing and then eventually you'd be like why do you do that and it's like <laughs> i don't know i feel like uncomfortable without it and i'm like uh, so a uh, shout out to Paul Campbell if you're listening to this. <laughs> Paul used to carry a carton of milk on the stage and never acknowledge it. And I thought that was so so funny. Mm. And bring it back, Paul. Get get those like mini one pint cartons back into your set. Absolutely tremendous. Do you stuff. catch a sponsorship? Uh, yeah, get get Robert Wiseman Dairies to sponsor you, Paul. Right, if you listen. <laughs> oh man, I hope Paul listens. Well, hey, we've we've bantered enough here. Why don't we just get into the game we came to talk about? Eh? Let's do it. All right, Chris Jones. This is the game of your life. Fantasy X, a role-playing game developed and published by Square, released July 2001 and later re-released in HD in 2013. It was both a commercial and critical success, selling over 8.5 million copies on the PS2 alone. It's also the first Final Fantasy to feature voice acting, as well as the only Final Fantasy to have a direct sequel in X2. Before we even get into X, have you ever played X2, or do you have any interest? Yeah, played it. Enjoyed it. Not as much as 10. It was it was a good game, but 10 is the absolute daddy. Um, my <laughs> my favourite thing... I'll just dive right in. My favourite thing about 10 too is it confirms the link between the FF10 and FF7 universes. Uh, so I didn't even know that was a thing. Yeah, so in, in 10 too, there's like a little side character, Albed guy, called Shinra. Mm. Uh, and in like the... In like an interview later, the producer said uh, Shinra... Shinra's descendants discovered how to extract Mako energy from the planet, went to another planet, founded a company, FF7. Oh my god, that's fucking crazy, right uh, off the bat. Yeah, and so there's a little Easter egg to him in the FF7 remake. When you're in the Shinra headquarters, there's like a like a black and white photo of a Shinra board meeting, and there's a guy wearing the Albed gear in the front row of it. Wow. Fucking love that, man, love that. <laughs> I, I, lo- I eat shit like that up too. Uh, for some reason, I you know what it is? It's honestly, I was 13 when Ten Two came out, and that was the age of, like, I don't want to play this girl game. <laughs> yeah, and I reckon a lot of people probably said that. They're changing their outfits and shit, and that's, like, a big component of the game. So I totally wrote it off, but now I'm considering playing it. Maybe we could even do another episode on it sometimes, because... I mean, I have it. It came with the Final Fantasy HD cartridge that I got. Yeah, or it's a good cartridge. But. It's a good game. I, th- I think, yeah, like, as a 13-year-old boy, you're probably, this is for girls, not me, I'm not going <laughs> to play it. So I, like, I, totally, I totally see why. Like, 13-year-old me probably thought something like that as well. Which is weird, because now, as a 31-year-old, I'm like, if they had a really immersive game where you're like a pregnant woman going through... <laughs> going through labor and shit I'd, I'd get into that you know i have no none of these like barriers that i would put up as a teenager I'm well like, that should be like a pitch to a gaming studio like pregnancy <laughs> simulator <laughs> yeah but it would be like pregnancy simulator in like a time of war or something make it like a, a survival like slash you know learn something all right a bit of added edge to it i like that uh yeah i was gonna ask how familiar you are with the series but we sort of covered that in the pre the pre-banter uh so with Final Fantasy, you said it was the first RPG series you played, though. You hadn't, like... There, there was no Mario RPG or Chrono nah. Trigger? I, pl- I played Legend of Zelda on SNES, but like that, that's somewhat of like what an I, RPG could have been in those days, maybe. But the Final Fantasy 
7 was the first true RPG. That was what got me into the genre. It's crazy because there is a whole world of RPGs, even before Chrono Trigger or whatever, that like like Breath of Fire and Dragon Quest and all these. So like I've never played, but I feel like it might be even tough to go back now because it's just so dated. Yeah, I know what you mean. I, th- I think like us Westerners just never got them right because they, they were like JRPGs mm. through and through, and FF Seven was what bridged the gap. And, totally. And that that like people started paying attention after that and playing like all the sequels to Final Fantasy and other stuff. But yeah, twenty five years or whatever down the line, they're probably gonna suck. <laughs> yeah, fair. Um, so let's get right into the story and the characters. As I always start with on this podcast, you're in the fictional world of Spira. Uh, that's taken influence from like Asia and Japan. Like the game grabbed me straight away. So you it opens in. Dreams Anarchy, which is like this big futuristic city, um, based I believe on the Uzbekistani city of Samarkand on the Silk Road. <laughs> uh, some of the architectural stuff I think is based on that, but like super futurized. Um, that just grabbed me straight away because it looks like, incredible. And on top of that, like because this was the first big PS2 sort of game. I think I could be wrong on that, but it came out like right around the time the PS2 came out. And I remember the, we always go into the graphics later, but I'll say off the top, like the graphics were fucking astounding in this game, especially yeah. the first cutscene you saw. Yeah. I remember, a... That was like a bar setting, like blow away moment for me. So a uh, couple that with the really intricately designed city, it was like very impressive right off the top. Uh, and you're Titus, you're the star player of the Zanakin Abes, I believe they're called. Abes or apes? Abes, Abes yeah. yeah. There's another pronunciation in that sentence that's more interesting to me than Abes. So <laughs> you've came out on the Tidus side of the Tidus Tidus debate. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, I think this was a big thing online when it came out. I'm Tidus as well, but like a lot of people will fucking die on the Tidus Hill. <laughs> to me, I'm like, if if that's what you say, if the how you pronounce it is how you hear it, and people know what you mean. <laughs> There's um, actually <laughs> FF10's got a couple of questionable pronunciations. So Tidus Tidus, Waka Waka. Mm. That's probably like an American British thing. And uh, Oran and like I've seen Aaron and Auron and all that as well. Oron, yeah, I always think it as Oron. Sort of like Moron without the the M. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it says Tidus uh, right away you sort of get a feel for his character and you better get used to it because he narrates this entire game through his perspective. He's a very uh, divisive character, I know, for people that have played this game. Um, but yeah, th- this is his, sort of his introduction. He's being treated like a celebrity. You're signing titties, fucking, you know, having, <laughs> yep. having a great time, patting kids on the head. And then you're in the middle of your game uh, when Sin attacks. And Sin is this, how would you even describe it? Like a giant fucking monster. Yeah, like. It's, like, it's like a roided up blue whale that can travel <laughs> across, yeah, that can fly and travel across dimensions, maybe, and loves to fuck shit up. That's how I would describe it. Mm-hmm, and this is your first of a few, like, full city destructions that you see, and it's sort of awesome, because I, I love Final Fantasy does this better than any RPG series I can think of, where it creates these huge moments that are like, there's no turning back from this. Like, as you're watching it, you're like, this is wholly destructive to the universe they've just introduced you to. Yeah, I know what you mean. The the opening scene, the, the Blitzball game is on in the stadium, and you see the, the sort of water thing raising up, and then it just comes down and, like, crushes it. Like, yeah. What an opening to a game that is. And Titus quite nearly dies right off the top. Yeah, it's just a great opening. That's when you meet Auron, and he's, he somehow has all the answers. He's telling you where to go and shit. Very mysterious, weird guy. Titus doesn't even really know who he is. 
and it all leads up to you getting sucked into sin, sort of. Yeah, yeah. That, exactly. Um, he with a view to bringing you out of dreams, Anarchy, and into real world sphere. I'll tell you, the thing that really grabbed me about Tyrus early doors was so like seven and eight were my prior favourite games and the main protagonists Cloud and Squall mm-hmm. like dark brooding emo kind of like I, I wasn't really into that they, they were I felt they were quite samey and like not that likeable at least at first obviously they have their story arcs and they get better mm-hmm. but like Tidus is like kind of laid back and chilled out it, it reminded me of me like I'm because I'm just a fucking legend you know that- <laughs> <laughs> well a lot of people would think like oh that makes you, you a shithead <laughs> oh yeah like, like Tidus is really hated but I, I like him too and I also relate to him it's sort of like uh, if you ever read Catcher in the Rye that Holden Caulfield is the same type of divisiveness around him because half the people think he's this whiny bitch, and the other <laughs> half, the other half, were like, "No, I agree with him though." Yeah, I love and him. Though. I've always loved Holden. I've always loved Titus, but I'm I'm sort of whiny myself, so <laughs> I complain a lot. So I, maybe that's why I relate to him. No, yeah, so he, he does. He has a little whine every now and then, but it just it was way it was way less dark and broody than the the previous well than seven and eight main guys. Yeah, and not not as cartoonish as nines. Too like he was sort of grounded. Yeah, which, as previously <laughs> stated, really, really put me off. Thing I didn't like the cartooniness of it. <laughs> yeah, no tails on Titus. Um, so yeah, you wake up in a whole different area. I forget what this is called. Beside? No, not the. Oh, beside. Yeah. So the well, the um... first with Rico, that Riku in the yeah, temple. Yeah, they they find you in Badge Temple, which is like a nice uh, post game type place to go. It's like an optional place to go after the game but they find you you do like a little mission with them and then you wake up and proceed mm-hmm. well yeah when you meet Riku real quick she's just uh, with these people called the Albeds and they're sort of introduced early and I just love how they do like there's these two predominant races essentially and the Albeds are just at odds with what, what would you call them the Yevonites or whatever like yeah exactly uh, at the time so when I was 13 like that was kind of lost on me a bit but like mm. when you're a bit older you're like oh so these people hate each other because of who they are and nothing else that's interesting and they can't even speak the same language but we delve into that we'll get into that more because the themes are just throughout this there's also like heavy religious themes in this game that I definitely didn't pick up on as a 12 year old same for context I never brought it up but I played this when it originally came out and then forgot about it basically and played it like in the last month so mm-hmm. I, it does to, sort of two totally different looks at it. And so, yeah, like you said, you get swept away again. Riku was, like, an interesting character. I remember at the time thinking, like, I wonder if she comes back. Because you didn't really... She was sort of detached from everything else in the story up to this point. Yeah, I, I think I thought the same. And, like, it's, it's quite a while before you bump into her again mm-hmm. in the story. I also got kind of Yuffie from FF7 vibes from her as well. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, you're washed up on shore, and this is where you meet Waka. Um, he, he's just practicing his blitz ball with the boys out on the beach. Uh, this is sort of where the game like begins, I would say. I mean, you've already had a boss battle or so, but like this is really where it, you know, it, it's where it, the game like firmly plants in, and you can see where it's going moving forward. Yeah, and I remember first time round when that all happens, and like you see them playing blitz ball. I was like, God, I really hope this is a mini game in the game. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, because that had like again in previous games there was like there was the card game in FF8 and um, like there was the gold saucer games in FF7. But I was mm. like, oh, this could be like 
Blitzball could almost be a game in itself if if they go that way with it. I didn't know at the time that it was part of the game, so I was like, "Oh, please let there be like a like a FIFA type mechanics for Blitzball." Yeah, and I love Walker because he's just like a chill ass dude. Blitzball's like all he really cares about. He's the captain of the Blitzball team of the worst team in all of Spira. Uh, just chill guy. He brings you to the first town and he sort of introduces you to the rest of the group. And all at once, you meet Yuna, who's probably like other than Titus, the lead character in the game. Yeah, as soon as I met Yuna, I was like, Titus is going to try and pump her at some point. And <laughs> definitely, 13-year-old me was like straight onto that. Like, oh yes, I see what's happening here. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's also got two guardians with her, Lulu, which is funny because that's my girlfriend's name and I totally forgot. Was in this. <laughs> yep. I was like, look, it's your name. Um, she's a black mage who's sort of reserved, a bit of a dick. And Kamari, who's a Ronso. Uh, how would you describe him? Like, tiger people? Uh, lion Upright walking lion men. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, like if 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 a centaur was half lion, half man, it would be this. That's yeah. what it would be like. And he's super stoic, but looks like a badass. Um, I never ended up playing with him much in the game. Yeah, but I, think, I like his character. Yeah, he he starts. If I remember, he's like the he's the toughest fighter in the early game before Orin joins the party. So he, he's like your your muscle to to take out the battles and all that. In the early part of the game, but I think I ended up I didn't play much with him towards the later half. I had a very fixed party, of mm-hmm. which he was not one. Yeah, same. Um, and Yuna basically explains like the pilgrimage she's about to embark on. So basically, you have to go to all these sacred temples to summon aeons to help you in your battle against sin, and you're gonna need to like have all of them at your side to take on sin and hopefully vanquish them. And so right away it sort of sets up like what this game is going to be for, I'd say most of it, like 70% of the game is just doing this pilgrimage. Yeah, you're into that straight away. And I remember when that when that's laid out, uh, so one of my favourite things in all the Final Fantasies was like, how do you get around the world map? I love like exploring, so I was like, okay, there's like five or six temple destinations. Mm-hmm. Do we, I want to, is this going to be linear? Is it going to be free form? Do you get to travel, like, do you get to travel on an airship thing freely? That, that intrigued me at the start. I was actually, that, probably my one and only criticism of the game is the, the very strict linearity of it. Mm. I was hoping you could dash about from place to place more than you do. Yeah, completely. And I mean, it's like a lot of Final Fantasy games in that it'll introduce different modes of transport throughout, sort of, but not so much actually. Because most games, most Final Fantasies will give you a boat at one point, and yep. then you can go to different islands, and then it'll hit you with an airship or whatever. This was just like complete linearity until you get to the airship, yeah, you which do, is yeah. about when you're ready to fight the final boss. Like, yeah. Like it opens up wide at the last like 10% of the game, I'd say. Yeah, you don't you don't get true like free reign to travel until like your option is go fight, send the final boss, or you can go and do like the, the post-game content stuff. What I did end up in retrospect really liking about the fact that you do it all on foot is that like to this day if I just want to chill out of an evening I'll load up Final Fantasy X fly to Xanarkand Ruins and just walk back to Besaids and mm. listen to the soundtrack yeah and uh, yeah, I found that really fun to do too and I found a lot of the post game shit is like encourages you to go back to old areas because we'll get to it after the story but like a lot of shit changes in the world and like people treat you differently and stuff and yeah. I thought that was like really well done by this game. Yeah. But yeah, you end up in Luca and where you're going to do a blitzball tournament. And this is one of my favorite scenes cuz literally like as your ship is pulling in, you hear this commentator that's just sort of pumping up the blitzball and he's just shitting all over your team. He's like, "Here they are, the worst team in Sphera." Yeah. Or, like, are they going to underperform last year? Like, we'll see. 
just roasting you openly. Yeah, I love that, and that, like, I was sitting there thinking, I really hope we get to play this game. I really want to show this cunt now. Like, I'm going to win. If I get to play Blitzball, I'm going to make sure I win at Blitzball. Mm, this is also, it delves into a bit, um, like, Walker's sort of uh, discrimination against the Albeds. Like, you, you come to find out that they've been kicking his ass year after year. They're dicks to him. And he, like, has an gr uh, axe to grind with these people. Doesn't trust them at all. Um, yeah, I thought it was interesting. You know? Yeah, that, that washed over me first time because I was like 13 but playing it back through again mm. as, as an adult I was like this guy's like religiously indoctrinated he, he is on the Yevon side and he's like these people are heathens and like they are the others they are not us and anything they say or think is completely wrong mm -hmm. and like now I'm like oh yeah that's like a really interesting thematic thing this guy would not be out of place in like the fucking Taliban or something <laughs> like that. yeah uh, but it basically gives you the option of how much time and effort you want to put into Blitzball here it doesn't really matter if you win or lose the tournament you can just stop playing if you want I, I remembered hating Blitzball the first time I played this game because it was just too complicated for me. Right. And on this one, I beat it just because I wanted to figure out what you get for when you beat it. And turns out not much. You get, like, a strength sphere and Walk is holding, like, a trophy. Yeah, it's not... The, the initial tournament ain't that good. But you, you can... If you go back and grind the Blitzball, that's how you get, like, Wacker's uh, ultimate weapon mm -hmm. and all that. So, like, that takes a long, long-ass time to do. Yeah. But I liked the... I really enjoyed the strategic like elements of the Blitzball game. It was it was very. I love Football Manager. It it felt very much like Football Manager. It's like a sporting game, but like played on a spreadsheet because you're just matching up stats and yeah, inject that right into my veins. I love that. <laughs> That's awesome. And this is the also important thing at Luca happens. You meet basically the main antagonist of the game outside of Sin is Maester Seymour, and right away it's funny because he's being celebrated as this like great hero. And you immediately know, like, this guy's a piece of shit. Yeah, I don't trust this guy at all. A hundred percent. Although they do that, they do that thing, um, like they do with Sephiroth, where you get, you very briefly get to play as him. Mm. You know already that he's going to be a big baddie, but like, very for a short period, he's in your party, and he's like mega, mega leveled up compared to your guys. Yeah, yeah, he's just a bad guy. Um, he sort of just introduces himself, and he is kicking ass a bit when shit hits the fan. Because uh, during the game, you find out the Albeds have kidnapped Yuna. Which again, it's like, it's funny because if they were trying to make a point about like uh, discrimination being wrong or whatever, it's sort of like Waka is justified in his hate of the Albeds. Like he didn't trust them showing up. And now they're fucking doing evil shit to win this game. Yeah, Shades of Grey, right? No one's like perfectly good or perfectly evil. And they, mm. they've given somewhat of a justification to the haters in this instance. Yeah, and it's like obviously you're not meant to... Of the actions of a few don't matter, like paint, whatever that fucking phrase is. But it's. I thought it was interesting. It isn't just a black and white situation in yeah, this I, game. I, I bet like in a, in a narrative scene not in the game I bet Wack is like fucking typical I'll bet they're all the same like they'll rob you or kidnap you as soon as look at you as soon as that happens mm -hmm. and they never went like heavy fisted like they were never like slurs or any like it never got like hateful really so I think they walked the line really well I was really surprised how well all this shit held up um, like today because you'd think maybe it would be you know either too heavy handed or a bit cringe and I didn't think it was yep um from this, after that, I forget, you get her back eventually, and you win or lose, you end up with Yuna back, obviously. 
uh, and you end up on a boat to Killikaport. This is the second big fucking city destruction. Yes. And it's probably the best one of the game. Sin just shows up and wrecks this port city, like, brutalizes everybody. And it's great because it shows you the city. You get to walk around it before the attack and sort of see what it looked like before. And then the attack happens. Yeah, and it just, it just ruins after that. that. That was dead interesting. I really liked that. Like, Kilika and Besaid had the Southeast Asia kind of vibe, like Thailand mm. or Malaysia or something. Really liked those landscapes. So, like, when, when Kilika gets wrecked, I was like, oh shit, that really hot. I really, really liked that little town, like the, the beach huts and all that, and now that's gone. So, yeah, very well executed on that one. Well, and I imagine it's even relatable for people that ever, like, know people from there, because, like, this is what would happen if a fucking tsunami struck, like, a beach town like that. Like, it was just complete wreckage, like, yeah. wood planks in the air. And I feel like... Fucking brutal. So the game came out in 2001. There was mm. that mega tsunami, like, 2004, I think, in Indonesia and around that area. So, like, literally, like, that yeah, it kind of echoed what was going to happen. And this was actually really interesting, because right after everyone dies, Yuna is doing, like, this ritual where she sends them. And that's when you find out in this world, in this game, when people die, they're not really gone yet. They sort of, like, chill. <laughs> they chill around the area as ghosts until someone religiously, like, sends them to the beyond. Yeah, and, like, that's an interesting take on, like, the age-old ghost story you get. That, oh, someone's spirits lingering about and they're haunting you and they need mm. to be exorcised or whatever. This is, like a, like, a less sort of macabre macabre version of that yeah it's a twist on it all I, I, I like the fact that it was called sending as well so like that's a real probably me specific reference but i remember um i used to play football with this guy and if he wanted you to pass him the ball he'd be like fucking send me send me mate <laughs> so when i see that in the game i was like oh is that what this guy was really wanting <laughs> yeah he's just looking to die um they they start at this point i don't know around this point but they're really hinting at a unitidus like romance there's a lot of flirtation going on at this point, and it's sort of, like, awkward. They have that awkward scene where they laugh together. Ha, 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 ha! That is quality, man. That, I, I've made memes out of that scene. Absolutely tremendous. It's so bad, man. It's just voice acting was not ready for, like, maybe, uh, you know, nuance of that level. <laughs> no, it wasn't, but yet. So th this was the first voice-acted Final Fantasy game, and that <clears throat> blew me away. First time playing it, like... Titus sounded like exactly what he should have done in my head. Mm. Maybe just because it was the first time with experience this, but I was like, they, they have absolutely nailed these characters. Yeah, totally. I agree. Um, at some point, so Seymour is proposing to Yuna, basically for the greater good of the nation. I think this is right around when you get to the moon flow, or right when you get to... Yeah. Um, but like, it's when you get to Macalania Temple, you get a message from Lord Jiskel, who's his father. Uh, basically who hasn't been sent yet, he's like a ghost, and he's like, hey, Seymour killed me, and this is his plan to ruin everything. So you immediately, like, confront Seymour uh, and kill him. Like, I, I thought it was crazy. Yeah, so you fight him in, like, a regular battle, and, and you win. And, and it's not particularly a tough battle either. No, it's not, and like, I, th I just assumed, like, all these boss battles, you just move on to the next thing, but then... Like, like, the narrative after, it's like, oh my god, you killed Seymour. You, you've actually killed him. Like, he, mm -hmm. he's dead. And I was like, oh, that, like, that was a real consequence of this. Yeah, you're considered a traitor by the people there. Yeah. Like, people turn on you immediately. Because Seymour, no one else really knows or believes what you're talking about. But you're like, oh, hey, like, the ghost told us. Yeah, and the, so the unsent, <laughs> the unsent thing, at, the, at this point, this was 
when I started suspecting Oren to be an unsent. So mm. you, so Jisco comes back as an or he he is an unsent and he comes and talks. So Seymour comes back as an unsent, and you're, you're sort of like you're loitering around um, Macalania and the far plane. I know that's that's Guado, Guado Salam. Sorry, you're you're there with the far plane, and Oren refuses to go in. I was like, huh? That's oh, interesting. I never put that together. Yeah, it, it was like it reminded me of when the penny dropped. With Santa not being real, I'm mm. like, I think I've worked this out, but I'm not gonna like say it out loud yet in case I'm wrong. So like, <laughs> maybe, maybe he's um, maybe he's an unsent. That's hilarious. Um, so right around here, the, here again, there's another sin attack. This is the one you sort of prepare for, where you're fighting alongside the Albed. Um, oh, the um, Operation Mian. Yeah. So that this is when uh, when Seymour and they orchestrate like all the Albed attacking. Mm. Sin and you just get absolutely slaughtered. Or did I mix up my order there? Was did that happen um, before? Does yeah. So you you leave you win the or you do the blitzball tournament. You, yeah, it, it goes blitzball tournament operation Meehan, which Seymour like orchestrates, mm. and then you you kill him after that. I think I'm almost sure that's how it goes. Mm-hmm. But there there's another thing where you're separated from everyone because Yuna you wake up on the in the Albedland the desert. Yeah, and home I. And that's, Yuna is not with you. That's right, yeah. So the Yevon are attacking the Albeds. They're attacking their home city as well. I think, I think that comes after the Seymour shenanigans. Mm-hmm. No, it does because I, I remember this point where you, when you meet back up with Seymour, you discover he's like orchestrated a wedding with Yuna mm. that for some reason Yuna's going through with. Because, again, Seymour's just not being sent. So it's, it's weird because like, I mean, there's some people that are ghosts in the far plane, and you see them as ghosts, but, like, then there's other people that are just unsent, and they're just, like, you know they're dead, but they're just fully human, they're fully formed, and I don't know, I found it very confusing at the time. I'd say Final Fantasy storylines have a bit of a history with becoming a bit convoluted, when they, oh, it's, yeah. it's almost like two steps too far. Um, yeah, they they, pro- they they probably needed to like it, I didn't get that first time. Uh, it took me a while and like probably some reading online to realize like what was going on. Like it's the it's the strength of your soul's desire to stay that like defines whether you're like a wee faded away ghost kind right, of guy yeah, or, yeah. or if you're like fully strong. Um, I have a theory as to why Yuna went through with the marriage to Seymour. Have you seen the size of that guy's hands? <laughs> Fuck me, man! Like, I, like, there's something about those hands. I didn't pay attention to it. They're, they're mega. He's got gigantic hands. <laughs> yeah, because that's not really explained either. If Yuna was like using it as a plan, or like, so I think yeah, she was like, I think she says, oh, I was gonna like, I wanted to marry him so I could get close to him, then I could send him, and then be done with him. But mm-hmm. it's like yeah, it's, I think that bit kind of crept up out of nowhere a little bit. I was like, oh, that's a. That's a really big jump, really fast. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But once again, you show up, you kill him for a second time. <laughs> yep. And at this point, you would think he's done, but he will come back later. Um, yeah, you fight him at the top of Mount Gazette. And there's not really a ton in, in between there. Uh, yeah, you get to Mount Gazette, and it, uh, Kamari's confronted by his Ronso brothers, who were like, you've turned on us, or whatever. I didn't really care for this side plot. I, at this point, Kamari wasn't in my party at all. I didn't really give a shit about him. Same. I, I wasn't. I wasn't using him at that point. It, I, it was sort of tough because you're forced to use him as a one on. It's a one on two battle with just Kamari. Yeah, exactly. I, I did think to myself, so like because I'm really like um, pernickety and like I, I like things to be just right. 
I had my preferred party, but in every single battle, I would substitute every member in and let, let them have one turn, so they always levelled up. Oh, really? So, yeah, luckily, Kimari was pretty strong at that point, but mm. I did think, like, if if you just hadn't played with him, you could you could hit a total brick wall with that battle, because, like, he needs to have something about him to get through that battle. I hadn't played with him at all, but what I found out is you can get, like... Because his big, his big thing that makes him unique at first is that you can take other enemies' moves yep. with the Lancet. And each of these guys you're fighting have like two or three moves you can take off each of them. Huh. And also, they're just kicking your ass. So if you have a bunch of healing items, you're constantly getting your overdrive. And then you've taken these powerful moves from them. So it was sort of easy to just wipe them out. Huh. And I wonder if they had that built in just in case he hadn't been leveling him yeah, at that- all. That's, that's dead interesting, though. Although, probably not, because this game's pretty unforgiving when it comes to just wiping you off the map. <laughs> it sure is. But no, I did think that mu- that, that could have been like a potential like point of no return, where like you'd be absolutely fucked and you'd have to go back and grind for quite a long time to get him up to mm-hmm. level. Uh, my favourite thing about Mount Gagazet area, uh, the music in that part, fantastic, man. Yeah. The soundtrack for that whole area is tremendous. Yeah, it's top tier. I did. I did forget to mention, by the way, before you get to the the first wedding with Seymour, Riku's reintroduced to the party. You find her on the way to the moon flow, and uh, yeah, it's really interesting because I didn't remember this like love triangle between her, Titus, and Yuna. Yeah, I, she like completely has a thing for Titus and is like pretty open about it. Yeah, I I didn't I didn't notice that myself first time, but playing through it, I was like, oh shit! I think she's like she's like, oh, so you're the star player of the Zanarkin Devs. I was mm-hmm. like, all right, I see I see what's happening here. That's and and Titus is super jealous about Yuna marrying Seymour when he before you know he's evil. Yeah, where he's like, well, what the fuck? I felt like that probably really uh, struck a chord with 13 year old me because I was like <laughs> like a super studious well behaved wee guy and like probably all the girls I fancied at school were like getting with the bad boys and I was like oh, it's fucking happening in this game as well fuck off man <laughs> yeah yeah exactly uh, but you would get your moment uh, eventually when they have that romance scene that I think everyone remembers uh, it's like it's the one they it's weird it's one of the most remembered parts about Final Fantasy X is when that like makeout scene in the lake or whatever yeah it's, it's like I think I might be wrong on this but I think it's the first time where like the the male and female main protagonists kiss on camera you, you don't get any action with Cloud in Final Fantasy VII <laughs> despite the theory of did he shag Tifa under the high wind mm-hmm. um, I don't know if Squall I don't know if you actually see them kissing same with Zidane and Garnet I think that's the first time like you actually see them in like full HD kissing. Yeah, well, so, and it sort of goes back to what you said about the whole interactive movie thing. It's like this is sort of a cliche, like how this would go. That like, was we, like a movie scene. Yeah. So uh, again, thirteen-year-old me. So when I was playing that, just by I was play, I had the PlayStation in my room. And by bad luck, my mum came in during that cutscene. So like the, the main characters <laughs> are like like kissing in some water in like a pond, and. Like, I don't know if she was being serious or not, but she's like, what's this you're watching? This is a bit dirty. Like, I don't know if she should be allowed to watch this. Oh. I don't know if that was like one of those things that your mum jokingly says to embarrass you, or if she genuinely thought I was playing like a fucking 18 hardcore game or something like that. <laughs> it's like, no, mum, I do that at night when everyone's asleep. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> yeah. So, at this point, you're nearing the end of the game. It's revealed that the summoner... Uh, that summons the final Aeon is actually meant to die doing it. And this is like a big turning point. Titus has like a fucking breakdown freaking out. Which again, I'm like, 
I could see why people call him an annoying bitch, but I'm like, no, he should <laughs> he should be freaking out, you know? Yeah, the, he's, la- the lady he's in love with is gonna die for this thing. Yeah, he's like seventeen. He's got he's got his little princess that he wants, and now she's gonna die in like a matter of days. I'd be devastated, man. <laughs> and so you meet uh, Unaleska, and you find out this is the first ever summoner that was able to banish sin or beat sin, and they're an unsent too. Uh, yeah, that was that was an epic battle. I I remember exactly when I played this battle for the first time. So mm. I. I I was like, <laughs> this is like a weird personal anecdote. I was like on the cusp of being accepted into like a cooler friends group at the time. And they, they, they like came round to the house to see if I wanted to come out and hang out with them. And I declined because I had the Unaleska battle ready to go. So I was like, guys, this is more important to me tonight. Holy shit. Yeah, it was big. That's how important this was. And then they, they did they abandon you at that point? Oh yeah, that was my, my I missed my shot. That was like, you, get, you get one shot and then you're done. So that was a, a total like uh, sliding doors moment for me. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so Unaleska reveals uh, either before or right after the battle, I think before, that it, you don't actually kill Sin, you banish Sin, and the final Aeon that you summon actually takes the place of Sin and is reborn. And so it just continues this cycle. And so you decide, well, we're not going to continue the cycle, fuck that, and kill Unaleska. Yeah, which, bold decision with no plan. Like, they're just like, yeah, we're going to fucking take the one out that we have, albeit a temporary, and we're going to say, no, we're going to kill you, and we'll try and figure out something later. Yeah, and and this also closes off any chance you get of seeing or having the final Aeon, which I'm curious if they actually had something in mind, or if that was just like, you know, they yeah. didn't need to create anything. So. Who, who, exactly, who was going to take the hit? Who was going to die? So the Guardian has to die and become the Aeon. Mm-hmm. Who, who was that going to be? What was it going to look like? Pray that—that's a real interesting rabbit hole to go down. If it's my choice, it's Kamari, dude. Who gives a fuck? <laughs> yeah, he's a shit <laughs> character and probably would be a good Aeon because he's a big fucking tank of a guy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so at this point, it's revealed, and this is what I love: uh, Yu Yevin, the god of this shit, like the god of like, <laughs> whatever the religion, the Yevin religion. It's turned out. Yu Yevin is the one that's been keeping this cycle going basically since the beginning of time. And it's always been, it's never really directly addressed, but Sin is always attacking these like uh, technologically advanced cities. It's always been sort of um, insinuated that Sin is like against the prolification of technology and shit like that. Yeah, it does. It doesn't want anything to get too big, so like if he comes across a big settlement he'll wipe it out mm-hmm. so it makes me wonder if that was like the grand plan of, of the god of Yevon but first to get to it you have to fight Sin like two times just to get inside Sin and then that's a whole different other dungeon so there's so much there's just so much to plow through here uh, and the last two boss battles actually probably not the last one I thought you Yevon might have been the toughest of the game um that was a weird one. That just creeps up on you. So, like, mm-hmm. you fight Jekt, Tyrus's dad, Braska's finally on. He's he's a big, massive beast. Wait, wasn't that isn't that the la- very last one? I think you Evans before that. No, no, you you, you fight uh, Braska's finally on, and then you Evan. Right. Okay. He, he's he's the last bit. So Braska's finally on is when like the heavy rock music's playing. Yeah, with the elemental shifting thing around him. Aye, mm-hmm. I, I thought the. I really liked the soundtrack to that. That was a huge departure from anything I'd ever heard in a Final Fantasy game. Yeah, it's so bizarre. I, I loved it. Yeah, he, he, he pulls he pulls the big sword thing out of his 
chest and you've got the thrash metal going. I was like, yes, this, this is like, you know shit's about to go down. Mm-hmm. So the very final battle is Jekt, right? His... No, it's you, Evan. The, Jekt is the... Jekt is the final real battle because you can't lose the Yevon battle. Mm-hmm. So you, you beat Jekt and then Yevon spawns, but you've got the you've got the little halo above your head, the auto life thing, so you can't die. Right. So that that's there's a there's a term for this battle that I can't remember now. Like battle you can't lose. That mm-hmm. is not the term, but it's it's one of those ones where you you go into it and you, it's it's just like part of the story. Dude, you know a whole part of the story we didn't bring up throughout this whole thing what? is Jekt. At oh, all. Legend. I was one of my favourite characters in the game. Oh really? You like he's just a dickhead dad? Yeah, exactly. It's so interesting. Like he's, <laughs> he, he's he can't help but be an absolute dickhead, but yet like there is like something deep down in him wants his son to do well. Mm. And, and that comes out more and more to the end. So yeah, he's Titus's father. And you find out basically like throughout the game there's these things called Jack Spheres that you're picking up. And again, it's I like it's optional. You don't really have to pick those up. But you find out that him and Oron used to be, uh, I believe, it's Yuna's father's guardians. Guardians, yeah. And that's sort of how they came to be. And then he was the one that took the final Aeon summoning. Yeah. And that's why he's been inside Sin this entire time. And he's sort of been gravitating towards Titus. Yeah, which, by the way, what a spin-off game that would be. See if you could get a Braska Jekt and Oren spin-off for oh, their journey. That would be a great game. Like a prequel? Yeah, that would be fantastic. But no, he, he's, he is one of my favourite characters in it. He's like a like a bad he was a blitzball superstar right he was a badass like mm. heavy drinking like not a great dad but also with some serious redeeming features as well yeah 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 but you tell he's never hugged his son he's always ripping on him for crying oh yeah he's like a proper like that is a west of scotland dad like no mm. emotion shown like you would never you would never like hug your son or like tell them like you love them or anything like that yeah, yeah. <laughs> you you would fit right in in glasgow mate <laughs> but even at the very end when he's this giant like in, like, what would you call it, even? Like, he's almost like an Aeon. Yeah, he's, he's just a big beast thing. He's still, like, ripping on Titus and shitting on him, yeah. like, <laughs> giving him shit. Uh, I just thought that was interesting. And finally, once this game's beat, it's basically, like, a happy ending for everyone, except for Auron, who, as you said, was, uh, what are they called? Unsent. And unsent. Yep. Which does make complete sense, sort of. Like, he's been time-traveling this whole time, he's been... Doing all sorts of shit, like had all the knowledge. It doesn't really make sense. Yeah, yeah. He's... Like, has he even alive? Have we seen him in those old spheres? Exactly. Yeah. So he um he finally fades away. But I, I suppose maybe you could argue that is kind of a happy ending for him because he's like he's he's completed his mission finally. He's done the job, so now he gets to rest in peace. Maybe. Yeah, and Yuna is sort of still there, alive, and with the mission statement of I'm gonna make the world a better place. Sin is gone. It's a happy ending. Yeah, except Titus fades away. He's he's gone, and uh, he's the the dream of Titus fades, and Yuna sheds a little tear for him at the end. But is it the end? Question mark. Final Fantasy Ten too. Right. Yeah. Which again, I don't even know. Uh, I'm... It's it's kind of so. There's some weird. Um, they redu- they brought out like a. A novel, Final Fantasy Ten Two Point Five, which tracks Titus and Yuna like further down the line, but is it canon or not? Question mark. We don't know. So it, it's kind of open. But yeah, is that Square Enix release? Yeah, yeah. It, it was. Okay. It was official, but the, like the, there's somewhat of a debate about whether or not it, it could be canon. 
Like, basically, it's mega, mega spoiler alert for the fucking one person that's going to go and read that novel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At the end of that, Tidus goes and kicks a Blitzball, which is actually a landmine, and it blows up and kills him. <laughs> <laughs> what a disgraceful end for, like, a, a, a really good character. That's so stupid. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, so let's get into the gameplay here, because um, we talked about a lot of it, but just some things to bring up. I think the combat system might be my favorite from any... I, I might even say any RPG. I think the combat's so well done. You get your seven playable characters, and it's a turn-based thing, but you can switch in any of the party members on any turn, and they can still have their turn when you switch them in. 100% agree. Loved the combat system in this game. Better than 7, 8, and 9 with the ATB bars. I loved that you get the little like diagram on the side showing you whose turns are coming up. Mm. I, I, I really, like I, I was saying earlier with the Blitzball stuff, I fucking love strategic stuff like that, so I loved plotting out, right, I've got three turns here, but if I use an item, I get a fourth one. Loved it, could not get enough of that. Yeah, totally agree. And like you said, it's almost like, because if any character has any turn, a single turn in this game, even if they miss the attack, they get an equal split of the EXP from the battle. Yeah, I was yeah I was forever subbing my people in and out for exactly that reason, just to, to get them leveled up. I also really enjoyed... The aspect which, so in any of the other Final Fantasies, you, if, if you just like sat there and didn't do anything, the enemy would keep hitting you. Mm. But in, in this one, like you've got to take your turn before the enemy does. So like you could you could truly think three or four moves ahead. Yeah, I have I have no time for active turn-based battle. Uh, like I love Kingdom Hearts style active battle, uh, and I love turn-based battle. But just like, are you just gonna keep me on my toes while I play this game? Like it, it's almost like high-speed chess. I'm like. I think it takes a part of the game away by forcing me to go really fast. I agree. Uh, yeah, I loved. Like, I, I would sit in a big battle. I would sit for like minutes between turns, plotting out. Right, if I do this, then this happens, and then I've got three more turns. But if I do this, this changes the dynamic. I I loved that man. Absolutely loved it. Mm, I'd say the difficulty for this game is very high. Uh, it's just a general. Uh, I don't usually have time for grinding in games at all, um, but this game. It requires you to grind, but I didn't hate it because I love the sphere grid so much. And the sphere grid is like the the piece, piece de resistance of Final Fantasy X. I think it's probably the part people talk about most when they're talking about what rocks about it. Yeah. It's the level up system. I've never seen one like it since, uh, but it's just like, how would you even describe it? It's literally what it sounds like, like a giant sphere grid. Yeah, and so you can, you can take your character down different paths, right? That's what I liked about it in... In the prior games, you level up, your HP goes up, your strength goes up in a linear fashion. Yeah, but like a white mage is a white mage, yeah. uh, a warrior is a warrior. Like that's it. Exactly, you can change them. So like my my thing was, I would take Riku and make her into like a hardcore warrior. She was really oh, fast yeah. by default, so I would level up her strength and then just smash enemies. Mm. Like it's the customization that I really liked. You could take your character down one of ten different paths. Yeah, completely. I I made Titus like full uh, thief. Like, I put him in Riku's role because I knew I wasn't going to use Riku at all. Uh, it's, it's cool, isn't it? Like, th- yeah, th- it was... there must be so many different like, ways of playing through this game. I've not seen... So so the next closest thing to this I've seen is FF7 Remake. So, like, 20 years late. It's taken them 20 years to get something, I think, mm-hmm. where you can customise your characters as much as you could in 10. Mm-hmm. Which shows how far ahead of its time 10 was. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, you were talking about your criticism earlier, though. This is one of my biggest criticisms in this game, is that there were just not enough spheres of particular sphere types. 
and I'm talking like the fortune spheres where you're, that up your luck stat. There were so many nodes that would like up your luck and no, because the thing is you have the nodes if it's a strength node or whatever you need a power sphere to use it. If yeah. it's a luck node, you need a fortune sphere to use it. I got like two fortune spheres in this entire run, and I and I did all the side shit. <laughs> yeah, I think I, they were really hard to get. I I, I was the same. I, I never grinded to get that up. I think you have mm. to really grind. There's like, I'm sure there's like a couple of enemies you can farm to get them, but it's like, it ain't easy to do. Well, that's the other thing. There's items you can only get if you bribe, because there's a technique you can use called bribe, and you have to specifically bribe specific amounts to specific enemies and I'm like how the fuck would you know this if you weren't looking it up online yeah I, I do wonder how did people play this game pre-internet yeah it's crazy because there's, there's, so, there's so much stuff that like you, you could never stumble upon the right answer to this so either you look it up online or mm, like if you know. want level 4 spheres which there are none of and you need to get all your best like uh, attacks like Ultima it's the best black magic attack you need 3 of them you have to find a chimera brain in this one level. And they only, they're only they a rare enemy to come up. So they come up like one every ten yeah. battles. And then you have to bribe them 200,000 Jill. Yeah. And then to get one. It's like, why? how would you ever figure that out? Yeah, it's and it, like... I, I can't remember because I... So when this game came out, that was like, for me anyway, like dial-up internet was kind of just becoming a thing. But I would never have thought to go and like type into... Google, not Google, fucking Ask Jeeves or whatever the search engine was at the time. How do you do this in Final Fantasy X? So I've no idea how people stumbled upon these things. I think it's, if I remember correctly, you could buy, you could pay like £9.99 for a walkthrough guide produced yeah. by Square and that would tell you all the secrets. I of think course. that was how you did it. Of course, of course, of course. Those cunts. Um, <laughs> I, I, we covered this, but I found the areas extremely linear. Um... It's literally like a straight line yeah. that it would take you on. And then it was almost like, they, they it's actually a bit of a criticism because they would have like little crevices on this straight line of a path and you could just see it on the map. It's like a little bump attached to a straight line. You're like, come on, dude. That really annoyed me. So you're watching the, the heads up display of the map. And you're like, oh, there's clearly a secret treasure chest down here because <laughs> the map deviates over to the left here. But yeah, that, that was such a shame. Like... If you if Spira was like even semi open world, that mm. would have been fucking magnificent. I don't even need open world. I just like the Calmlands is good because it's a big open field and there's areas you can go to. Just a bit more like that. Yeah. But, like it is. It can just be. It can be like an area that isn't a straight line. <laughs> yeah. I do, one of my favorite things in seven, eight, and nine was whenever you got your hands on the vehicle, whether it's the car, the boat, the the seaplane. Mm -hmm. Trying to figure out, like, trying to find all the areas I can possibly access with this vehicle and trying to get to the ones that come later in the story, but before I need to go there. <laughs> like, you can get great weapons or whatever from the shops in there because you're not meant to come there for another, like, 10 hours of gameplay. Right. But, yeah, you, you couldn't do that in this game. There's, like, a very clearly defined, fat, defined path and you just can't deviate off it. Mm. Uh, I don't know the other Final Fantasy games well enough to really compare, but I thought the encounter rate in this game was insanely high. I, I thought it was just like, fuck, man. Uh, like, yeah. If you were running out of items and you were trying to get to a save point, you might be fucked because yeah. you were getting hit constantly. With and I think, I think that's partially a function of the fact that like you go everywhere on foot. So like in the other games, you, you're flying or you're driving, so you, you're right. getting battles there. But like every journey you take, you're walking the whole way. Yeah, it is a pilgrimage, literally. Yeah, and I, I know you'd make, like, 
I'm such a huge geek for the soundtracks. Like, I fucking love them. And mm-hmm. see when that shattering thing happens and the battle starts and it interrupts the beautiful piece of music that I was listening to. <laughs> I'm, I'm raging, man. <laughs> but it is one of those things where grinding, like I said, is necessary in this game. So it's sort of, if you just decide never to run from a battle and take everyone as they come, you're probably going to be better off for it. Yeah, I, I weirdly took pleasure in that. I, I, I wouldn't flee any battle for the whole way through, and mm. I would make sure every character got in, and I would steal. I would steal at least once from every enemy just to see what I got. Same, yeah, yeah. I wish there was a bit more of that. Like, I love when there's one-time items you can steal from bosses. It makes the whole choosing to steal as a path feel so much more worthwhile. Yeah, I think Seymour gives up some pretty good shit if you steal from him. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I would, I would have liked more than that because most of the time it's like a potion or, or like some shit that you Or get. even just some spheres. Yeah. Some fucking, like, there was a bunch of, you know, valuable loot that isn't like a one-time equipment piece that you could have given us. Right. Nah. So I watched a video this afternoon, actually. This is what I do to chill out on my lunch break at work. I was like, <laughs> there's a guy, there's a YouTuber who has a 24-7 stream of him playing Final Fantasy. Mm. Uh, it's, it's been running since like 2018 this thing and it just goes in a constant loop is he just a meth addict like how is he not sleeping oh no so he's, he, he's like recorded them all oh, okay and, right. and then that makes it's, sense it's just been on loop forever <laughs> and I turned it on today and it was the Kimari 1 versus 2 boss fight and you can farm level 3 spheres from those guys you just keep stealing from them you keep getting the spheres oh. that, that is the place that you farm it damn <laughs> this afternoon. I wish I knew that um, yeah, there's, I thought the temples were a really nice change of pace, because we talked about how in every temple, that's how you get your Aeons, which are your summons in this game, but they were just puzzle areas that didn't have any encounter rate. I was thinking this today, could you imagine if these temples had encounters, how fucking annoying they'd be? Oh, yeah, it would take days to get through any of them. It would the, ruin the game. Yeah, the one, um, the last one, the Bevel Temple. Mm. Where where you're put you're going you're going on the moving conveyor belt things. Oh man, that took me hours to figure that one out. Same, yeah, yeah. They really never became frustrating. It's just a good puzzle part of the game. Um, but yeah, I just thought it was a nice change of pace. Yeah, it, yeah. You're not you're not just constantly plowing your way through fight after fight. It's, it's <laughs> like it's not like rocket science because it can't be because people need to complete it but it was nice to have these wee puzzle things to do mm-hmm. uh, I like the Albed primers throughout the game they were these little books you could pick up that would because when you meet Albed people their language uh, when the subtitles come up they have this like white or yellow highlight around them but for the letters that you've learned through picking up these primers you get a pink letter around it so you can sort of like articulate what they're saying decode the language that was cool i liked how they voice acted it as well even though it's like complete gibberish they've, mm-hmm. they've got the voice acted them saying these like crazy crazy words uh, and knowing square enix they created a language for this game <laughs> <Yeah>. for sure <laughs> tremendous there there might be someone listening to this that can speak albed and if they are i'd love to hear from you oh as would i by the way like i i briefly <laughs> tried to learn how to speak elvish when i was really in the lord of the rings so yeah that's so far up my street dude imagine just two guys having a conversation in albed in public <laughs> I, I would love I, I want to be their friend if they're out there be my friend that would be awesome uh yeah we talked about blitzball the chocobo training i thought was a bit fucking much yeah the- i completed it all this time and i was like God damn it! This is dumb. Yeah, I I, I didn't. That that was. I was just like, fuck this. This, this <laughs> is really really hard. I'm not doing that. Basically, in the Calmlands, which is a big open field, you're you're given the option to train chocobos, and they're just, they're like uh like in video games where you get a mushroom on your head and you like 
right means left and up means down. It's <laughs> a good analogy, yeah. It was like, and I'm thinking of Earthbound when I say that mushroom thing. But yeah, it's just that. It's just misdirection on the joystick. It's no fun at all. It's just frustrating. Yeah, and the, the payoff is pretty weak from the chocobo thing. Like, I don't, you don't. I think you get access to. Um, well, it's it's the way. No, it's the way to get Titus's uh, celestial weapon. That's but yeah, shit. but hey, while we're talking about that, let's talk about that because. I thought so much of this post-game shit was like, you have to do, like we said, it's like finding certain items. There's so much arduous, prolonged bullshit. Oh my god. That it's not even worth it to no. get this final weapon. Because you're never like, I'm, I was never at such a disadvantage, like a final weapon would have changed the game. No, I think you only need them if you want to take on the Dark Aeons and Penance, like the super, super bosses, 20 mm -hmm. million HP and all that. But have you seen the the process to get Lulu's ultimate weapon? I, I can't remember it. So when you're walking about, you know, uh, the thunder planes, uh, mm -hmm. lightning can hit you, but if you press X at the right time, you dodge it. Mm -hmm. You need to dodge precisely 200 lightning bolts consecutively, <laughs> then leave the area, then there's a treasure chest that gives you one of the parts you need for it. It's mental. I like. Oh my god, dude. And you brought up Waka, like, you have to do, you have to win every Blitzball match. Yeah, that, that's, that's a... That's a grind. I, I did that way back because he was one of my favourite characters, so I wanted to like max him out, but that, that is a grind, winning all the Blitzball games. I tried to get Titus's... Because uh, my, my plan for this game was to complete 100% it, just so I could fully talk it out, flesh it out. And when I realised just... Cause it's again, that's my second biggest criticism. I have it written here. Besides the Not Enough Spheres, is that the side content is so just... minute and like... I, it's it's too detailed. It's like how the fuck w it's not enough payoff for the amount of effort they expect you to put in to do this shit. Yeah, the, the amount of grinding is ridiculous. I, mm. I've seen, I've, I've never hundred percent it. I've seen it done online, and it's like a two hundred plus hour invest yeah. of time. That's like you could learn a skill in that time. That's fucking <laughs> ridiculous. Yeah, you could learn it to play guitar. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I did like some of the side content though. I don't want to write wash it all out. I thought the Omega whatever it's called, the Omega Ruins. Yep. It's like a, just a really fun, tough dungeon. Yeah, g great dungeon to level yourself up as well. You, mm -hmm. you, you get tough battles, but like mega EXP. If uh, I needed to do it like a few times because I would go, I would get to the boss and then I'd come back and just you'd get like 20 sphere levels mm. just doing that. And I'd do that a few times because I'm like, I can't beat anyone. Like, yeah. I can't beat the final boss and I can't beat this. Well, that's one of those places, so to get to Omega Runes, you need to input coordinates on the airship. Mm. And I'm like, how the fuck did people figure that out pre-internet? That, that's mental. Dude, for this one, you know what I did? I just, uh, for every, it took me about 5-10 minutes, but for I just kept pressing X across the entire map. Like just X X X and I and I found every single location. I respect that a lot. That's really that's a that's a great brute force method. Really <laughs> <like that. laughs> well, because I I imagine it can be within a few degrees, you know. So it's not like like I found them all pretty easily. Do you know? So I did find them when I was playing through first time, and maybe I did that because I I don't think I was like Yahoo searching it. So maybe that is how I did it. But that's mm. that's a great technique. Uh, I thought it was sort of interesting that all the weapons sort of have the same strength, but it's just the attributes that they have. Yeah, I kind of I enjoyed the weapon customization process. Mm. Like, like it's completely about the customization because they all. But that's the thing. There's some weapons that only have one customizable slot or two, and others that have four, or say five. Yeah. So that's what makes a weapon better than the other. 
and some of them come with like stone touch which makes like any enemy you hit turn petrified yeah I, I enjoyed that that was like a constant source of pleasure throughout it because you would you would always get you like pretty random enemies would drop weapons uh, with like new abilities on them so mm-hmm. after most battles i'd find myself checking like oh what have i picked up here oh this this has got like sos protect or like no encounters or something that's a new ability never seen that before really mm-hmm. interesting or, or half mp cost i remember on one was like all for if you have that weapon everything costs at half the mp I'm yeah like, god damn I, yeah, I, I really liked like stuff like that. I, I, I got a real kick out of that, or like auto haste or double AP, like all, all these things. Like, oh, that's a really cool feature to put on a weapon. Well, because it be it would become like game breaking. It would become like like there's one that makes one MP. Like everything costs one MP. So at that point, any anything you'd put into building your MP stat was null and void. It didn't matter anymore, you know. And they, so they'd almost like. If you got a weapon good enough, it sort of broke the game in a way. Yeah, the the ultimate one being break damage limit. So that this is the mm. first Final Fantasy where that I'd ever seen where you could do more than nine 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 nine. That blew my mind when I saw that for the first time. Yeah, yeah, it was great. Uh, it, the Aeon Bahama can do it. Yeah, off the bat, and that's it. Yeah, uh, he, he yeah his limit break does like twelve thousand. Mm. I was like, what is that? An error in the game? What the fuck has just happened? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so anything else to say for gameplay? Um, I nah covered it all. Battle system tremendous. Um, yeah, I have. I think the battle system and the sphere grid are what really set this Final Fantasy apart. You can, I mean, the storylines are subjective. It's whatever you prefer. I'd say this story is about as strong as a Final Fantasy VII story. But what I can say that Final Fantasy X has that those other games do not have are one of the most comprehensive leveling systems I've ever seen to this day. And a great combat system. Agreed. So, that, to me, Final Fantasy X is my number one Final Fantasy ever. And those are the two big fucking reasons why. Yeah, I completely agree. That You've nailed it. Can't add anything to that. Hell yeah. Well, uh, let's get into the music and the graphics. Uh, the first thing I had written here for graphics was what, what we talked about right off the top, was how impressive this was. This was a bar-setting game for me when I first played it. I was blown away by the cutscenes. Yep. Um, step change up so like, I remember thinking like looking really close like probably ruining my eyes like up to the TV to see if I could see any pixels mm. on it and there was no it was smooth as as an egg it, oh it was brilliant Dave Chappelle <laughs> <laughs> the, it was the first one on PS2 and it, it was a step change so I remember Cloud's stupid square block hands. I remember Squall's face just being a mess of pixels. Mm. I remember all the characters in Final Fantasy IX being like well out of proportion and horrible resolution. Then this hits you, you're like, oh, this is like, this is so much closer to movie than game. Yes. It is unreal. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah, and the other thing I have for graphics is the Aeons look cooler than ever. And they didn't take the piss with these fucking 10 minute long... Uh, summoning videos. I mean, there was a couple that are like, you know, bordering on a minute, but it's not offensively long, and they look so cool. Like, I think every Aeon on, on this game looks fucking badass. Yeah, they look great. The Final Fantasy VIII, I remember the Aeons took fucking ages, and, or mm. the, whatever, like, the GFs, the Guardian Forces in that game, mm. and you had to use them a lot in the early battles, so it took a long time. I'm, I'm glad they dispensed with that, and yeah, they looked fantastic. That- uh- and you know, I never played 8, but what I loved about this game, I'm not sure if 8 does this, but I know 7 doesn't, is like, there was actually a, a storyline reason for the summons. It wasn't just like, 
Like, you have Urfit because one of your party members knows how to summon, you know? Yeah. They, some of them had, like, somewhat of a story in 8, but, like, they're, they're very crucial parts in 10. You, you, it's you what the pilgrimage is all about. Like, yeah. it, it would make sense that the only thing you could summon to even come close to battling sin are these Aeons. Yeah, it, gi- it gives them... So, I, I don't know how they dealt with these things in 1 to 6, because I've never, never really played them. Uh, mm. They're kind of a story point a little bit in 9, but they, they get a proper story in 10. Like Each of them has a, a faith, a, like a person, or a person that once was, that is like the core of the Aeon. That, that was cool as fuck, and they're key to the progression of the story. Yeah, and we didn't say it earlier, when Seymour shows up to battle, and you play as him, he summons the anima. Yeah. And it's one of the most badass-looking Aeons you've ever seen. That, yeah, I, I think like that thing's terrifying. It's brilliant. And that's what cements sort of Seymour as, like, this bad motherfucker. But also still is like, wow, that's a pretty devious, evil-looking Aeon yeah. that he conjured. Yeah, it's a big... It's like it's got chains around it. It's, it's suffering. It's attack. It's like pain. Like, it, it, it's, yeah. a, it's a great-looking character. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll get into the music. Uh, I discovered today this is the first Final Fantasy score not entirely composed by Nabu Yumatso. I'm going to fuck these up. <laughs> uh, Masashi Hamuza, Hamuza and Junya Nakano. I wanted to say their names because I think that's pretty fucking impressive that the previous nine games were all done by those three dudes, the yeah, scores. So he's, a, he's a genius. Uyamatsu is... That, that guy, he should be winning Grammys and all that. Like, like celebrated, yeah. Yeah, I know video game music somewhat looked down upon. It fucking shouldn't be. He should be spoken of in the same way as Mozart or Beethoven. Yeah, man, I totally agree. Um, there's three songs on the soundtrack that have actual vocals, which was sort of new too, but I guess so was the voiceovers. <laughs> yeah, it was It was very striking to hear like an actual song being sung. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know if, in the end... They might not have been my favourite parts of the soundtrack. There's other parts that I like better, but I remember hearing the vocals. I was like, oh, never. That's a new thing. Mm. How many tracks do you think were on this original soundtrack? 112. There's 91, I thought. I was, I, I, I was just oh, I thought you, <laughs> <laughs> you said it so confidently. I was like, oh, do I have the wrong number? <laughs> no, 91 yeah. fucking songs on this thing. It was originally released in Japan as a four CD release. Like, just a Final Fantasy X soundtrack. It's fucking wild. It's epic. It, it's... For 20 years now, it's been, like, a staple of my life. I listen mm. to them when I'm running, in the gym, working, sitting on the sofa, cycling up to see you today. I was listening to Final Fantasy music. Final oh, Fantasy man. X, specifically. Movement in green, to be very specific about the track. <laughs> I'll, I'll throw a couple shout-outs out there. I think the, uh... Obviously, the intro song... For a low-key song, man, it totally sets the tone for this game. Brilliant. Especially once you know the story. Uh, and also, when you first start riding a chocobo, dude, it, the music is so upbeat and yeah. hilarious. I'm going to use that as the, the interlude on this episode. Oh, I, brilliant. I just That's love excellent. it. <laughs> <laughs> now, there's some really epic... So, if, if, if anyone listening is looking for music shout-outs... Um, one there's a ten hour loop of wandering flame on YouTube that's like the best to like just chill out. If, <laughs> either if you're chilling out or like having a few drinks or like doing like a a semi routine boring task, stick that on and thank me later. It's brilliant. <laughs> Hell yeah. Uh, anything else to say about the music and graphics? You seem to be closer to the soundtrack, so yeah. The the, the graphics were great at the time and blew my mind. 
Uh, yeah, I only played... I didn't mean to say this. I only played the HD remake this time, so I can't really speak to how well they hold up or not. I'm assuming not great. Oh, yeah, yeah. The original doesn't look brilliant now. The, mm. the HD remake does look brilliant, I think. Yeah, it looks great. I, I was I, really I'm, impressed. I've got some of the art. I've got Xanarkin Ruins on my bedroom wall, like, mm. directly taken from the game. So it, some of the stuff is beautiful in it. But yeah, the the graphics impressed me, but the the soundtrack stayed with me. Ten and seven are the ones that I've got most soundtrack, like on my personal music collection. But ten is above all of them. It's, right. it's the best. Yeah, yeah. Oh, but yeah, let's get into the final section of this game: the legacy factor. What makes this game stand out? I said it already. It's my personal favorite Final Fantasy. Um, but that's not to say it's not a flawed game. It sort of is a Final Fantasy game. It is going to be... If you don't like that kind of game, it's very predominantly linear. Yep. Um, and it's got, like... The characters are the characters. They're not, like, meshable. They can't be changed at all. Um, but if you just like, like, a story to be told through the medium of a video game, this is pretty top tier. Yeah. I, I would say. I would agree with that. Um, what So... The battle system for me makes it great. The soundtrack is brilliant. Um, the, the linearity, as we've said, is my one negative mm. take on it. Um, like all Final Fantasies, like the the story's really good. The plot's really good. Sometimes they take mega jumps and it don't really. It does explain. get convoluted, dude. It's tough not to. It's like when in Final Fantasy VII when you fall into the Mako Rift and you're. It's just like this is fucking horseshit, guys. Come yeah. on, <laughs> like you have a good story. Like just stick to the. You almost could have removed 10 hours and had it be a more cohesive story. Yeah. And I'm like, well, why would you have that? Then? Yeah. Why create that? I, I think, so, 7 Remake is doing a really good job of filling in some of those gaps. I would love, love, love to see a remake of Final Fantasy X. Mm. I, I, I would pay hundreds of pounds for that game, no problem. Well, what do you mean? Well, like, Because I, I thought the HD remake scratched the itch for me. Like, What do you want to see that they didn't do already? Uh, oh, so to me, the HD remaster it was it was just like they they brought it up to sort of today's techie standards. Mm. But like Final Fantasy VII remake expands a bit in the story, gives you, gives you, you more detail. I, like I think they could. There's definitely more they could expand on if they made like a a remake rather than a remaster of this game. That makes sense. Yeah, um, yeah. I thought that like we talked about earlier, the themes of like just racism or discrimination. And the themes of even faith and religion were handled in a really good way. Like this, it holds up today. Yeah, that that so that sailed over my head first time because I was thirteen. But playing it back now, I'm like, fuck. Those themes are spot on in 2020, 2021. That like those themes completely resonate now that I know about about the world and life. That's that's spot on. Well, and it's done. I love that they use Walker basically as the basic like conduit of all these things where he's the one who starts out as like a religious fanatic almost almost i wouldn't say he's like he's not like a cultist or anything but he's like very strongly believes in you Evan. very strongly dislikes albeds on site will dislike them and by the end of the game he's like apologized to the albeds whose airship he's now riding on and he's abandoned his faith (laughs) completely because he's found out his god is literally created the sin that he's so afraid of i feel like he he could maybe represent like the silent majority person in the uk or the us who Mm. like like might have some like prejudiced views but then they they like experience the thing that they were prejudiced against and actually they see these things ain't that bad 
Well, and he's almost like like Titus is the main character of his story, but I think Walker is the main character of this world story. Like, yeah, he, he, he does a total 180, pretty yeah, much. He, he changes com- a lot. Yeah, he changes as the things change in the in the story itself. Like he completely represents all that. We got to get into that before we get out of here. The uh, I only have two top threes because I couldn't think of a third. <laughs> but the three top characters in this game for you, Chris, can you start with number three? No, number three. Uh, I'm gonna go for Titus. Number three. Nice. It is my, probably my favorite lead of the lead characters of the seven, eight, nine, ten like group of Final Fantasy games. He's not my favorite character in this game, but he beats Squall. And I think me too. I like Cloud a lot, though. It's tough. I, I like the new Cloud in the remake, but I, you, you've you've already seen more of him. I think um, mm. I, I rate Titus higher just because yeah, he's he's kind of laid back and like light-hearted and dicks around a lot and mm. less broody so I like him for that reason my personal third is Yuna I think she gets a lot of shit as being like a bland sort of nothing character but I don't think she is I just think she's soft-spoken I think when you look at like uh, the principles that she has throughout the game she's like a very consistent character that's like willing to die for her cause but isn't looking to be a martyr for that either I, I just like like She's probably the most principal character in the whole game. Like, she doesn't even care. She's like, yeah, I like, I love you too, Titus, but that's not what this is about. This is about our fucking, what we gotta do here. Yeah, right. she, she's an illustration of, like, m- maybe, like, a normal person with a very, like, focused goal. And I'm gonna do this, and I'm gonna execute it. But she's not, a, she's not a fanatic at the same time, because no. you've seen that in this world, too. Like, it shows you the two extremes. Yeah. And she's neither of those either. Yeah, she's quietly confident. She's like, this is what I've got to do, and I'm gonna do it. And that's mm. it. And there's a power to that. Yeah, I, I love Lulu for that. Or not Lulu, Yuna. Uh, what's his number two? Number two is Wacker. Uh, <laughs> as, as previously discussed, uh, he, he has a total like 180 character arc in the game. I think he, uh, he starts off prejudiced and set in his ways and strong-minded. Mm-hmm. Literally travels the world and like opens his mind a bit and changes. <laughs> yeah, that's um, awesome. Like, bonus Wacker fact. Did you know the voice actor for Wacker? Is the same guy that does Bender in Futurama. No. Mental, no, right? really? Yeah. That's fucking wild. And, and Kim- so Kamari as well. Wacky and Kamari are the same actor. That's crazy. But Bender, that one blew my mind. That, which also means he's the dog from Adventure Time. Yeah, he's in Adventure Time as well. Correct. <laughs> um, yeah, my number two is Auron. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a sucker for a badass silent guy. <laughs> you know, he shows up with the glass. He's got his weird limp hand out the sleeve. And a giant sword. There's nothing not to like about him. Other than he is sort of a dickhead throughout the game, a bit, but in a tough love kind of way. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know, he's got the best intentions in mind. And it turns out he was a ghost the whole time, so you yeah. can sort of forget it, <laughs> forgive it. Uh, what's your number one? Number one's Auron. He's cool as fuck, man. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love him. Um, he, he's so he's like low key contrarian. Like, kind of moody, kind of grumpy, but, like, also in total control a lot of the time. He knows what's happening. Yeah. He's, he, he's like, he is pretty principled because he's he's chosen not to die. He's chosen to stick around in this horrible limbo state to sort out his mate's son. Fair play to the guy. I love him. Yeah, that's, like, well, and it's funny because we just reversed. I already said my number one is Waka for all the reasons we've mentioned so far. Uh, and let's cover our favorite three aeons of the game, also known as summons. Yes. Uh, number three for you. No, number three. So it's, it's not an aeon that we get. It's Braska's final aeon. It's Jekt. It's the final boss. It's oh, such yeah. a badass character. Mm. And that the I just think the rock music soundtrack when you fight him 
it was so cool and such a departure from like Final Fantasy soundtracks are all classical stuff usually. So when when that hit, like I, my heart was pumping. I was like, yes, like this shit is on. Let's do this. <laughs> yeah, I'm changing my written list around a bit because I forgot about Anima when we mentioned him. So my third would be Anima actually, because I just love love the look. I love what it represented. Like you said, the attacks being like pain. It just looks fucked up and violent more like you know tortured than the rest of them yeah it's a it's a scary like when you're facing off to that it's a scary motherfucker (laughs) yeah completely Uh, what about number two number two uh, this is more gameplay point of view Bahamut uh, breaks the damage limit badass hard as fuck Mm -hmm. he's also got some narrative stuff so his the the faith of Bahamut ends up explaining stuff to you right at the end so he's the little boy that chases Tidus around Dreams Anarchand and finally lays out to you what's going on. So he's good in the battle, good from narrative. He's my number two. I totally forgot about that little kid throughout the game. Yeah, that, that's a, that's his faith. Yeah, that makes complete sense. Uh, my number two is Yojimbo, uh, optional side character. I just love him, dude. Like you find him in this weird cave, and he's got his own sort of backstory, and you have to pay to even get him on your team. Like he <laughs> yep. just cares about the money. But then he's got one move that is just an all-time finisher. If you pay him the max amount of coin. Well, he's got his own sort of side system, I guess. Like, we didn't talk about it much, but, like, he has, uh, I forget, what, I don't even know what you call it, like a trust meter internally built yep. into him, and for every time he dies in your battle, he'll lose trust, but every time he wins or gains AXP, he'll gain it. Yeah. And it's all building to the, the likelihood that he'll be able to hit his finishing move, and his finishing move's a one-hit KO to fucking everybody. Yeah. Like, bosses. Yeah. It's crazy. And that that uh, likelihood of it hitting goes up or down based on how much money you pay him. Yeah. Uh, but he just looks fucking awesome. Badass. He looks so different from the rest of the <laughs> the aeons, like the cherry blossom tree and everything, and the dog. Awesome. Uh, so yeah, that's my number two. What's, yeah. what's your number one? Th- this Jujimbo, <laughs> he's my favorite. Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> and we did it again. By miles, my number one. Uh, he's such a capitalist pig. He mm. won't work for you unless you pay him hundreds of thousands of gil, which is tremendous. Uh, yeah. And he's got the yeah the the Zanmato move, the one hit kill, kills any any boss, any enemy in the game in one hit. Even Omega Weapon, like the final, but you can kill him in one hit. Yeah, if if you want to like blaze through the post game stuff, f- like get your trust level up with him, figure out the number and just get him to Zanmato fuck right out of them. I, I love him. He is tremendous. Yeah, well, and it's weird because we did it twice in a row, but my your number two is my number one, Bahamut. It just looks so cool. Like, it's weird because you get Urfit in the game early, and Urfit looks like a bitch next to Bahamut. Like, yeah. It looks like, you know, like his kid. Yeah. And Bahamut, like, stands with the full shoulder exactly. stance. I like, love when you call him in, he lands, and he's, like, shoulders spread, like, arms crossed, like, fucking come like, ahead then, let's do this. Like a bodyguard. Yeah, yeah, he's brilliant. Yeah, so that's my number one for sure. Um, and yeah, that's it. That's Final Fantasy X. I think we covered it, man. Covered it. What a game. Absolutely fantastic stuff. Really enjoyed this. Yeah, me too, mate. Uh, is there anything you want to plug before we get out of here? No, I, I've, I've got nothing to plug. Uh, go go play Final Fantasy if you haven't already. <laughs> You're going to plug Final Fantasy X? <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Well, I am not, not going to do that. I am going to plug myself. I am at Funny Jordan B, as per usual. If you like this, if you enjoy the show, tell all your friends. And yeah, we'll see you guys next week. Thanks for listening.